Paul went so far as to say that if Christ has not been raised, we've got a useless faith, and really, we're quite pathetic. We're worthy only of pity. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. God's raising of Jesus is, among other things, God's vindication and validation of Jesus, that, that what he claimed about himself was true, that he was the divine Son of God. And since it was the Son of God who died on the cross, we have confidence that his death really was the perfect fulfillment of the Old Testament images of sacrifice. Our sins really are forgiven. We really are bound to God in relationship. God really does treat us not as sinners, but on the basis of Christ's perfect righteousness, and so on. And we know that because it was the eternal Son of God who gave his life on the cross. And we know that it was the Son of God who gave his life on the cross because he was raised from death on the third day. And it's worth noting again that the apostles and those who knew Jesus personally were absolutely clear in their conviction about a literal, actual, physical resurrection of Jesus. The apostles didn't have an internal sense of renewal of the heart that they used resurrection language to try to express. They didn't say that they had had visions of a spiritual Jesus. They didn't say that Jesus has passed from death into his divinity. They didn't say that Jesus had been pulled back from death, as Lazarus had been, only to move forward toward death again. The Greeks and many Jews did believe in some conscious after-death mode of existence in Hades or the underworld or Sheol. But they didn't use language of resurrection when they talked about that. Resurrection, for those who believed in it, was what happened to the body at some point after whatever period of afterlife they believed in. Many Jews believed in a bodily future resurrection. And the very word resurrection meant that something happened to the physical body. And so the apostles knew that Jesus had passed through death and out the other side, not just the real Jesus, who is the spiritual part of him, his soul, but the complete Jesus, body and soul. Death hadn't freed Jesus from his body, retaining its hold, uh, retaining its hold on the physical self, which I think sometimes we're tempted to think happens to us at death. That's not a defeat of death. That's just a redefining of what death is. But Jesus had defeated death. It had to release its hold on him, soul and body, not pulled back from death into life, but emerging out the other side of death into new and eternal life. And there can be no reasonable doubt, I think, that an actual physical resurrection of Jesus happened, that it fits the facts that we have, that it explains adequately the reality of the birth of the Christian movement, I've preached it before and at length and won't do it again today. But the solutions offered to explain away the resurrection are weak. Jesus didn't really die. Well, the Romans knew how to kill people. 
that the gospel accounts are written a century or two later to shore up the power of a fledgling church. But how do you account for the existence of the church at all? Birthed by fearful fishermen? And no fabricated gospel would portray the apostles as the slow-witted, petty, and cowardly men we see in the New Testament. And nor would women have been made witnesses, the first witnesses of the resurrection. No. If the early church had fabricated a gospel narrative to defend or lend strength to its power, to their religion, the gospels that they would have come up with are not, would not be anything like the gospels that we have. Was the resurrection really some kind of spiritual death? Well, the gospel stressed the physicality of Jesus' resurrection. They touch him. They cling to him. He eats. Was the resurrection a hoax? No, the apostles wouldn't have faced persecution and prison and death and eventually died for a hoax and so on. The birth of a movement centered not in a teaching but in a person that began in a backwater Roman province and spread within 30 years to every major Mediterranean city with a strong presence in Rome itself is absolutely unprecedented. And only the physical resurrection of a person, Jesus the Christ, adequately accounts for the data and for the reality of the church in the first century. And so Christians affirm and rightly celebrate that the crucified Jesus was physically raised to life, that he lives today and forever. Hallelujah and amen. So, why does this matter? Why does this matter? If, if we're asked that question of why Easter matters, our thoughts probably immediately go to the future, to eternity. We'll probably think of heaven. And that after we die, we will go there. And that what God has done for Jesus, he will do for us. Jesus' resurrection is a sign, it's a foretaste, it's a guarantee of our own resurrection from death. And death will not hold on to our bodies either, but there is eternal life ahead. And so whatever the present, we have hope for the future. Our thoughts probably would go there. We might think of the past and the uh, reality of the forgiveness of sins, but even then we'll think of the future as we think about the past. We'll think about the future, that our sins are forgiven means that we will get to go to heaven and be with God when we die. And our general orientation around Easter is that the historical event of Jesus' resurrection centuries before we were born gives us hope for after we die. All right then. So in the meantime, let's well, sing some songs, maybe have a special dinner, include some chocolate, of course. And if we're particularly good Christians, we'll try to make sure that other people too know that there is an eternity that awaits them. Get them ready for what happens after they die. Easter happened back there, gives us hope for up there, and that's why Easter matters, right? Well, yes and no. Hope for the future with an eye to eternity is certainly a hope rooted firmly in the resurrection of Jesus. I want to be clear about that. But we usually think of that as if God's plan for our eternity is that we leave earth 
and go to heaven to be with God forever. And believe it or not, that is not God's plan for our eternity. And Easter is not just God's guarantee of a room at heaven's resort over there, wherever there is. And yet, Easter is the reality to which all of God's plans for us, but not only for us, are tied, and therefore to which our hope is anchored. What are God's plans for us, for our eternity? Is it for us to finally leave this earth and go to heaven where he is and live there forever? I think this has become the default understanding of Christians in our day. We sing it, when Christ shall come with clouds of, with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart? And whether the songwriters intended it or not, it's certainly what we think of when we sing words like, in mansions of glory and endless delight, or when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. But the New Testament, to my knowledge at least, never speaks of our going to heaven forever. Christians who die go to be with the Lord, yes. Paul spoke of his own death as departing and being with Christ. But the New Testament speaks of Christ's future return to earth. In in the language that, that paints a picture of a sovereign establishing himself on territory that belongs to him. And so the Bible ends, for example, in Revelation with the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, with its pearly gates, coming to earth and God dwelling in the midst of his people. And yes, Jesus told his disciples that he was going to prepare a place for them, and that in his Father's house, that is God's house, there were many rooms. And the older translation using the word mansions is unfortunate and I think has proved very misleading. The word that Jesus used was the word normally used for speaking of a temporary lodging, a stopping place on a journey. And to turn, turn the word into mansions and a full-fledged doctrinal theological belief that Jesus is building mansions in heaven for us distorts what Jesus says. Paul reminded the Philippian Christians that they were citizens of heaven. That's right. But Philippi was a Roman colony, and its inhabitants were granted Roman citizenship. They were citizens of Rome. But that didn't mean that when they retired, they would go and move to Rome. That they anticipated going to live in Rome someday. And the idea behind what the scripture teaches us is that If we die before the return of Christ, we will go to be with him. And he will return with the saints. And the the heavenly city, heaven will come and be established on earth, but on a new earth. And Revelation tells of a new heavens and a new earth. Not in the sense of destroying and doing away with the old. And God making a brand new, from scratch, creation but in the sense of renewing. And so Romans 8 talks about the redemption of all creation. Even that creation now is longing and groaning for it, as in the pains of childbirth. 
Not sure what you think about the environmental movement. But if you think that our treatment of earth doesn't matter because God's just going to discard it and make a whole new one, it's not what the Bible teaches. Romans 8 then also speaks of, and here we come to Easter, the redemption of our bodies. 1 Corinthians 15, talking of our own resurrection, compares the difference between our now bodies and our resurrected bodies to the difference between that of a seed and a plant. Very different, and yet there's continuity. Somehow, one comes from the other. And Christians have always believed that in eternity, we will receive new bodies, but also that there is a future resurrection of the dead. That in some mysterious way that we do not understand, our old bodies will factor into the equation in God's renewing and recreation of our future body. And so what is God's plan for us and what he has made? It's to redeem or renew, or to use the Christian language that we're familiar with, to save. And the earth is not just a temporary dwelling place to be discarded, nor are our bodies just a temporary house for us, as if only the spiritual self, not the physical, was the real you. We are physical and always will be. And the point of all of this is to say that whereas we've become used to thinking of our eternity consisting of our leaving our bodies and our planet and going to heaven to be forever with God, the Bible indicates that God's commitment to redeeming the physical creation and our bodies, that's his commitment, and to bring heaven and earth together. Everything to this point that I've said is introductory. The rest of the sermon is short. So what does this have to do with Easter? This. Rather than history moving toward eternity, and rather than just a present with a hope for the future, the birth and life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus has eternity rushing into history. Not the future waiting for us to reach it, but the future moving into our present. And many of the Jews had an expectation of a future general end of history resurrection. But in Jesus, something happened that had never happened to anyone before in history, that nobody expected, that nobody had a framework to understand, that one person in history was resurrected from death by the power of God. And on that day, a signpost was driven into history, a signpost that not only pointed forward toward an eternity, but a signpost that clearly reads, the kingdom of heaven has come to earth. The renewal of all things has begun. The day of resurrection marks the place where present and future meet, where history and eternity come together, and where heaven crosses over and comes to earth. Does that mean that earth is evolving towards perfection? No, it doesn't. And there will yet be a defining climactic work of God when heaven comes to earth with fullness and Christ literally returns and deals with finality with sin and death and Satan and darkness and so on. 
And that day marks a signpost at the other end that reads that the kingdom of darkness and sin and pain is no more. It is finished. And we live in between these two signposts. God is redeeming. And the resurrection of Jesus is not just the guarantee of a future redemption, but it's the definitive act of a redemption that has begun. When Jesus lived on earth, his whole ministry was as a kingdom bringer. When he healed lepers, when he caused the blind to see, when he taught what life in God's realm really is like, when he freed people from demons, when he fed the hungry, when he stalled death by calling Lazarus and others back to life. In all of these things, he was inaugurating God's kingdom, and the kingdom of sin was being pushed back. When he died on the cross, he bore on himself the reality of our sin. He procured our freedom from sin's power and from God's judgment. The Bible says in Colossians 2 that in that event, the powers of darkness were dealt a death blow. They were ridiculed. And the resurrection completed it by defeating death itself. Death had no power over him. He could pass into death and emerge safely out the other side, a living, physical being. Death could not hold him. Death, which was the last great enemy, the strongest soldier in the kingdom of sin, the Goliath of Satan's forces has been defeated by the Son of David, our hero, our Savior, our King, Jesus. And since Jesus, God's kingdom has been forcefully advancing. So again, what does that have to do with us today? Are we just looking forward to when we leave this body and this world of sin and get transported to heaven? Well, we are, but not just. Or not even, I would say, primarily. 1 Corinthians 15 is the longest treatment of the resurrection in all of Scripture. And in that chapter, Paul says, and this is a summary of it, Christ was crucified and raised, both according to the Scriptures and verified by eyewitness testimony. How can anyone say there is no resurrection? If there isn't, then Jesus hasn't been raised either. And if Jesus hasn't been raised... We've been lying about God, and we have an empty, useless faith. But Jesus has been raised, and his resurrection is just the first fruits, the beginning. And by his res resurrection, we know that we will be made alive. And what about the resurrection body? Well, it's a mystery, like the difference between a seed and a plant. There's continuity, and they're related. One comes from the other, and yet they're vastly different. We can't understand it. We only know that our body here is weak, it's flesh-driven, it's mortal. The body to come is spirit-driven, it's imperishable, it's glorious. And someday there will be a final day where even those who have not yet died will be changed. So the redemption of our bodies is guaranteed in the resurrection. And death really has lost its thing. The grave really has no victory over us. For 57 verses, Paul goes on like this. And what would you expect after that to be his summary statement? So hang on. Keep your eyes on eternity and wait for the heaven that is surely coming. 
No. Surprisingly, even jarringly maybe, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58, Therefore, beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In other words, he says, because of Easter, because of resurrection, continue in your present kingdom labors, for they are not in vain. Don't just cling to the hope of the future, but let your daily, right here, right now life be infused with the reality that God is redeeming, that death and all that it represents is a defeated enemy, and that heaven is right now and ever increasingly coming to, work, coming to earth. God is redeeming, God is doing something, and your life is a part of that. What the Bible is saying is that far from holding on until you finally leave this cursed earth, Easter means that you can live a God's kingdom life here. And not only that, but your life and your own actions can be other signposts along the way that declare God is redeeming. Jesus rose from the dead, and that means that God's kingdom is victory. And when you, when I, when we give water to the thirsty, when you care for the earth, not from some wacky, the earth is our mother philosophy, but from a recognition that the physical created world has a place in God's eternity, when you care for a loved one when it is hard, when you lean into God's strength in the darkest struggle, and trust that God is a living and sovereign and even good Lord. When you live God's values and God's wisdom in your relationships and finances and rest. When you give home to a homeless child. When you visit the sick and the imprisoned. When you work for the freedom of the oppressed. When by your life and your wor words you turn the attention of a broken world to a Lord and Savior who died and lives. Then... You are living from the resurrection. You're being a part of God's work in the world, God's work that has begun in Christ and will be brought to completion in Christ. Easter means that now matters. That your life is not in vain. We don't wait for mansions in glory. We don't wait for Jesus to take us home. On the contrary, we're waiting for God to make his home fully and permanently with us. And we participate in God's work of renewing and preparing this place. And we do what we do in the name of Jesus. He is alive. And because he lives, I too not only shall live, but do live. And live differently. A life with meaning. A life with hope. I live as a citizen of heaven. In this, this heaven colony called earth. Anticipating the coming of the king of heaven. That's what Easter means. Easter has to do with today. Easter has to do with your life right now. And your labor in the Lord giving it meaning, letting us know that it is grounded in something real, 
that is in the center of what God wants to do and is doing and will do. It's a present hope, not just a future hope based on a past event. In just a moment, we're going to be worshiping by singing. And we're going to take a step backward to the cross and see our king dying there for us. And we'll move through the resurrection with this understanding now of the kingdom of which we are a part. And as we sing, consider your own daily life. And it's placed between the signposts of the resurrection and the return of Jesus, as you too are a signal that God is redeeming. Think about what it looks like for you to live your life right now with a Christ who is literally, physically at the right hand of God, but in some mysterious way, by his Spirit, lives and is present with us in our everyday And how does that make your one o'clock this afternoon, your next week Friday, and two years from now, and the road that you're walking on, different? Because it all has to do with Easter, in God's work, in you, and in the world. Just before we sing, we are going to stop now and put Easter into practice. And we're going to receive, the ushers come forward, we're going to receive This offering. Because when we support someone who is in need, one of our family, we're living out of Easter. This is not just giving to a need. This is us living the resurrection practically and in a way that matters. So the praise team is going to sing. The ushers are going to come and receive this offering. And then we are going to worship and fix our hearts and lives and thoughts on the resurrected and coming Jesus Christ. Amen.